You are listening to the Elevation Indie Podcast. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you can know exactly when the podcast becomes available. We hope you enjoy this week's message, and we hope that it brings blessings into your life. I'm excited. I'm going to be in Nehemiah chapter 2. We'll continue. Uh, But today we are in a new series, and that series is called Blackboard Vision. Say it with me. One, two, three. I was, uh, I grew up a long time ago, and in my growing up days, um, the blackboard, you, know, you guys remember that sound? Some of you got scared I was going to do it. You know, in schools today, they don't have blackboards just like that. That blackboard came out of Flackville Elementary, IPS 100, and uh, it's 1912. And it's got these lines on it, you know, and I don't know how those lines are on there because, you know, I don't know the, the technology about how they did that. But anyways, but I remember the teacher would go up and, and just like I did in the first service, their name would be up there. They'd have the date up there. They'd spell it all the way out. And then the blackboard became, and I was just saying, you know, like spelling words. Anybody remember spelling words? And then they'd write the spelling words out, and I was doing I was doing those two names in the first, and nobody hardly get it, got it. Sometimes my humor is hard to get. My writing's hard to read. You've got to have the gift of interpretation to figure out what that is now. But I put radar because I like these kind of words, and then I put Hannah. How many knows what those words are? There you go. Thank you. Right, palindrome. And so, and so, you know, my little joke is sometimes when somebody's waiting on me and they got a name tag like, you know, Panera somewhere, and they'll have Hannah on there, I'll always say, hey, you got your name on there backwards, and they, like, look at it real quick because <laughs> that's all I got, you know. I won't be here all week, so I'm just letting you know. So, so or, you know, they'll, they'll be doing, you know, I did this little algebra thing, you know, 4 times 2 plus X equals, is that 112? It is now. And, and, and uh, anybody remember that, learning that? And, and, and sometimes I remember, uh, believe it or not, I took calculus and trig and, and all those kind of things, and I remember the board would, like, the equations would be so long. And I always wondered, like, why do we got to do all that to get the answer? Because really, the answer wasn't that hard to get. <laughs> Just look at the back of the book and it had all the odds. You know? <laughs> I'm like, teacher, I could solve the problem a lot quicker. So, but they would put this on there, and I read this line. Maybe you've heard it. It said, what a teacher writes on the blackboard of life can never be erased. That's a good one right there. I'm a product of, of some good teachers. When I wasn't daydreaming and, you know, whatever else, when I was listening and applying, I'm a product of good teachers. You know, I talked last, was under Sunday before last about Myrtle Couch, my little junior boy, Sunday school teacher, when I was a, a, a junior age boy, and she had all the boys in that basement, musty smelling classroom with a flannel graph, I learned stuff about this book from Myrtle Crouch and a bunch of other Sunday school teachers. And, and I, I would say also, you know, when I say names like Mrs. Gittens or, or Mrs. Womack or Mrs. Richardson or, or Miss Hewitt or Mr. Simmons or Mr. Archer, when I say those names, they don't mean anything to you. But to me, I'm in Mr. G, Mr. Gilmartin, Ben Davis High School, four years of Latin. Um, 
I learned a whole lot besides Latin. I'm, gl- I'm grateful because I don't use a lot of Latin every day nowadays. But I'm, I'm just saying this, that, that they instilled and imparted and gave information and insight about things that have impacted my life and still there. And, and I would say this, that for every one of you, that's the case. Like there's words you know how to spell that you don't even think about. Anybody know your times table still? Like two times two is four, like three times three is nine. Four times four is 16, five times five is 25, six times six is 36, seven times seven is 49, eight times eight is 64, nine times nine is 81. Am I right? I mean, I could keep on going. I know those times tables, and I haven't practiced them in a long, long time. But I remember being, I don't know, if it, it seemed like fifth grade, but it may have been earlier. And it seemed like, man, they hammered you on those. You had to practice and memorize those, and they had you get in front of class and recite them until, until you could have those down. Right? And you, and you know those, not because you've been working on it this week or not because somehow you had some, like, divine uh, download one day and you know your times tables, your multiplication tables, but because a teacher, right, probably, maybe not on a blackboard. For me, it was on a blackboard. We used to have math relays. Anybody remember those? You go up there and you try to beat the other kids solving the thing on a chalkboard. I mean, chalkboards were so, so prevalent in my day that we played eraser tag. You put an eraser chalkboard eraser on your head, and you walk around. I mean, I still, I don't know if I got a lawsuit here, but I'm just saying. Like the teacher's like, well, we got to come up with something for these kids to do because it's a a down day. It's raining. They can't go to recess. You want to play eraser tag? Put the eraser on your head. I'm just just saying chalkboard, blackboards was something that happened. And I want to say this, that I want us to get a blackboard vision not that, like, we heard it one time. Oh, yeah, Pastor Tony's mentioning that, so that's part of the vision. Not like, okay, well, yeah, when we do that thing, that's part of the vision. But that we know it, we articulate it, and it's who we are as a church. You hear what I'm saying? Not that not just some thing over there that, okay, that's, that's a pet project to somebody. and that's No, that we have vision and that it's so uh, instilled and etched on who we are as a church that we own it and it's us. Are you getting that? Say yes. Yeah. So I'm going to read Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 2. This is the last few verses. Pick it up, verse 14. Nehemiah here, he's, he, he's, he's, this, he's been captive, and now he's in Jerusalem. He's surveyed the, 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 the problem and the land and realizes all that's wrong. And he got the people in front of me. He said, he said, then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in? How Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me. You might, I've, I've said this uh, multiple times during this, uh, this last series, you might highlight, underline that if you have a way you can do that because Nehemiah will continue to say that. The hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. But when Sambalot, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them. And said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Everybody say us. Therefore we, everybody say we. Therefore we, his servants, will arise and build 
but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Let, let, me, let me just kind of jump in here for a minute and give a little definition before we jump in to where we're going. Nehemiah, uh, just maybe catching some of you up, and you can go listen to these wherever you listen to podcasts, on YouTube, Elevation Indy, you can watch it because you may need to go back and listen to some of this Nehemiah narrative. Uh, Nehemiah has heard about the uh, situation of the land where his heritage is at. He's in Persia. He's a cupbearer to the king, close proximity to the king, very trusted by the king. I mean, you don't want a cupbearer that's, that's, that's going to deceive you and give you poison, right? His, one of his responsibilities was to make sure the cup was safe before the king drank out of it. And no doubt he had other responsibilities. And, and most likely a closer relationship to the king than just about anybody except maybe the queen, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is just, he's just, he's just wrecked by the report that he's heard. And he's, and he's grieving, and he's mourning, and he's praying, and he's fasting, and he says night and day. And then one day the king looks at him, what's going on? And I, you've never been this way before. Well, here's, here's, the, here's the deal. Here's what the report I've heard. I've never been there. I was born here. I've been raised here. But the place of my father is just, the walls are, are, are I've heard they're, they're, they're in ruin, and, and the gates are burned with fire, and, and so the king gives him letters. He heads off to, to go to Jerusalem, four-month journey, 900 miles. And he gets to Jerusalem. He takes three days of rest. And then, as we talked about last week, and the importance of, of assessment, of looking. He looks around, and he, and he sees just how bad it is. And then, and now we see him, and he's starting to talk to people about what's going to happen here. Nobody knew. He's kept them in the dark on this until he gets to this point. And for good reason, because you see these guys, Sambalat and, uh, and Tobiah and, uh, and uh, Geshem, how they are opposing. By, by the way, just so you know, there, there's opposition that's always going to be present in your life. Like if you think, well, you know, some people sell this bill of goods. Well, if you come to Jesus, it's going to be a red carpet and everything's going to be, you know, it's going to be a bed of roses. You never have a problem, never have a hurt, never have an ache, have everything you ever want. I don't know who told you that, but they lied to you. You're going to have all you need in him. But I'm just saying this. Don't, don't, don't get mistaken and think that you won't ever have opposition. You will. If, if God's in it, I mean, no, the enemy's going to fight it. Right? And, and, so, and so they come, and they, they have uh, Ezra. used to be Ezra and Nehemiah were, were one book. They were attached. And some people think maybe Ezra wrote Nehemiah. But, but um, in Ezra chapter 4, the letters were sent to the king, Artaxerxes. He reads them. He says, hey, yeah, stop construction on that because it could be viewed in the way it was then as we're going to rebuild walls around here. And we're kind of saying, hey, no to Persia, no to the king. We're rebelling. We're going to build our own thing here. And you're not going to tax us, and you're not going to, you're going to continue to rule us. And so the king put a stop to it. And he said, until I command that they be built again. And here he has. So these guys are like, hey, the king know about what you're doing? You rebelling against the king? No, no, king, the kings gave me letters. I'm here on purpose, and we are going to rebuild it, us, together. And by the way, sometimes we get vision. So many times it happens this way. It's that picture of Moses going to the mountain. He's, got, he's heard from God, and he comes down, and he says, okay, guys, here's what me and God want you to do, which was right and good. But Nehemiah's a little different in this. Nehemiah's been with God. He knows what God wants him to do. He's done some, some planning and preparation, and now he's saying, hey, together we're going to do this. How many know 
that together we're going to do this is better than the guy, the sage on the stage having some kind of thing that he wants us all to do and we all got to bow to it and do it. Instead, it's like we're doing this together. By the way, I'm in this with you. What, what I do on Sunday morning up here, I mean, I do other stuff for sure. You know that. But, but this is a small part of what we do as a church. If this is all that happened, we couldn't be who we are or do what we need to do. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit today. And, and, and I think it's so important that we catch what's going on with Nehemiah here. Nehemiah has made an assessment, and, and, and he sees the distress, right? He sees the conditions. He sees it's a visible uh, distress, and there's a problem. And the first thing in, in stepping, and this is for your personal life, it's for us as a church, to step into the vision God has is we've got to understand the problem. What do we see in the world today? Well, we know this, the world's in distress. I mean, know that. That's not hard to say. Our world's in distress. We're bombing places over in the other parts of, of, of the world. We got people bombing us. I mean, no, that's distress. Like, I don't fix my attention on it all the time, but it's a little stressful if you think too much about it. Anybody with me? Come on, talk to me. Anybody with me? You know that. If you watch the news, if you don't even try to watch the news, you hear about it. Somebody tells you, hey, do you know the Houthis are doing this, and, and we're bombing back, and, and what's happening over there? And oh, my, oh, me, oh, my, oh, my. You go to get gas for your car, you don't want to pay as much as it is. You wish it was like when I was a kid, like, like 78 cents a gallon. Wouldn't that be like, be like, woo! Like we can buy groceries this week. Or you go to the store, and you're like, wow, this is just too much money. I was buying, so there's these, there's these uh, sugar, sugar uh, no sugar added little chocolate chips my wife likes. And I remember a few years ago, they were $3.99. And on sale the other day, they were $6.99. I'm like, my, my, they're not that good. I thought I'd shift to another brand that had the same thing, but they were $10.99. Yeah, I just, just, I want you to understand this, that, that, well, that's problems, but that's not the real distress that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the hurting, helpless, hopeless people that are in our world, right? The, 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 the people that, that, that don't know anything about Jesus and never understood how it would apply, and all they know is that's some kind of religion, and they don't need religion right now. They, they need, they need to, to figure out how to solve the addiction problem. They need to figure out how to, how to fix the, the, the brokenness and wounded place in their life, and they can't get that anywhere, and the only one that can really give them true hope is Jesus, but, but, but they're in distress because they don't know. And I could go on and on about the drug crisis and the mental health crisis and, and the abandoned children in our world and, and women that are, that are battered and, and bruised and beaten. There's a distress in our world, but there's also a decline in the church. And I'm not up here to be doomsday, but, but uh, the church was already in decline. I'm talking about numbers of people. They show up on Sunday before COVID, and COVID just like was like, what do they call that thing? And, and they, they hit it when they're out in space, you know, the uh, warp speed. It's like COVID took it, some, some, some of the experts say 10 years, accelerated it 10 years down the road. Some say 12, some say up to 17 years in the lack of church attendance on a Sunday in America. I mean, it's not 17% right now. That'd be good. By, by the way, a generation ago, it was like 40 to 50 plus percent of people 
Right? It's not been too long ago. There was like 60% of Americans that were in church on Sunday. By the way, being in church on Sunday is not everything, but it's a dashboard uh, uh, indicator. Right? When your engine light comes on, you just don't put duct tape over and keep on driving. You try to figure out what's going on. Right? Somebody did that, and I know. Somebody said, I got duct tape on my car. My, my check engine light's been on for five years, Pastor Tony. Like, we know it's an indicator, right? So, so if we have 9% church attendance right now in America, that'd be pretty good for what I, I would say that it's far less than that. It's, it's like the percentage of Americans that have a biblical worldview is so minuscule that it, it doesn't even hardly matter. It's so sad. Engagement. I'm talking about attendance. Engagement. We used to tout, and, and still we have more than a lot of places. Elevation Church, people serve. Over 50% of people serve at least once a month. We want you to serve. We think you ought to be serving. If you're here, right, we, we don't think everybody ought to just be consumers, that, that we need to be contributors too. And, and so, so people serving, so important. Engagement, engagement in church life, getting a group, that's part of engagement. To be quite honest with you, I'm not mad about it, and I don't mean it mean-spirited, but I shouldn't have to get up here and say, get in a group, get in a group, get, be a cheerleader for groups. That ought to be like on you to say, I need to get in a group because I want to engage. Because I want to engage. Right? And, 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 and getting in the Word and praying. We talked about everyday, everyday prayer and everyday pursuit of His presence and, and everyday creating margin and, 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 and everyday generosity and all those things in the last series. It's, it's so that we can be engaged and not just floating. Then the other, the other, the other thing that is changing the world. It's it's almost like uh, Rip Van Winkle. Anybody remember that? The guy's asleep all that, and he, he sees the tavern. It's got the king's picture hanging over it, and then he he sees it after he's woke up, and George Washington's picture pictures over it, over it, and and he he slept through a revolution. I think there's far too many Christians, followers of Jesus who've been sleeping, and there's been a revolution in our world, and they're not even aware of it, and they're still trying to do the same old things. They, what, what they don't realize, I remember I got to speak in front of the regents at, at a Christian uh, seminary several years ago, and they were all gathered in a big room, and I was one of the people that was able to speak to them about the state of the church, and it just so sounds, sounds so simple. I thought, I'm not going to go and speak to all these PhDs and THDs like I know something. I, I, just, I just was plain as I could be. I said, the church is like Humpty Dumpty, and it's fell off the wall, and all, all, all the king's men and horses are trying to put it back together, doing the same thing that is always done, and it really is going to take something entirely different to, to resurrect Humpty Dumpty, the church. You hear what I'm saying? Right? And it's assessing the problems. And all of us know. Listen, I, I, I mean, sometimes people say, you know, I go to church, but it's this, and it's this, and this. Tell me all the bad things. I say, I'm with you. I don't like those things either. You hear what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to deny the church doesn't do some of those things. We don't get them right, and, 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 and there's some problems. But I also know this, that we got to approach it a little differently. And, and one of the things that the church has missed is, right, because here, here's, the, here's the conditions, the rising multicultural society. And I'm not just talking about different people. Praise God for that. I love it that Elevation Church is not homogenized. You know what I mean? Like, you look around, somebody's a little darker than you, somebody's a little lighter than you. I love that, don't you? Anybody love it? Say yes. Because I'm just going to tell you, heaven is not going to be like all one. Like, you need to understand that man, humankind, humanity, was, we were created in the image of God. Now, here's where we, here's where we can get this wrong. We get a picture of somebody just like us, and that's who God's creating us. 
creating. He created all of us in his image. So if you're as white as this Bible paper on my page, he created you in his image. If you're as, if you're as black as this, as this podium here, he created you in his image. That somehow the diversity of who God is is so expressive in, in the way it looks that he created us all in his image. And in heaven, you're going to see the beauty of that diversity all together. And Elevation Church is just a representation of the beauty of the diversity of God's creation. I love that. So I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the idea that, we, that we're going from airplanes to internet. We're exposed. Like I had a friend who grew up in the 1950s, and he tells me, he's told me several times, he repeats himself because of his age, I think. He said in the 1950s, it was like living in heaven in America. He said the cars were designed so beautifully, which I like those. You might like those, fit, like you, somebody wants to give me like a 57 Chevy or 56 T-Bird or something. I'm all up for it. Just give it to me. I'll receive it in Jesus' name. Beautiful cars. He said, we park them in our driveway. He said, you never had to lock them. He said, we didn't even lock our, our door in our house. He said, on Saturdays, my mom and dad send us down to the movies. And he's talking about up in Fountain Square. And he said, I don't know. The, you know, sometimes people exaggerate, so it may not have been altogether accurate. But it's like, I think he said a nickel, but it probably had to be at least a quarter. I don't know. He said, you know, I get popcorn for two cents. And I go see, you know, I don't know, maybe it's a nickel for the movie or the matinee or whatever. He said, us boys, we go there and watch that together. And he said, our Saturday was just so fun because it didn't, he said, it was so, so little to, to make that happen. And what looked to appear like Christian America, right, the influences, I didn't say social media, but social media, the Internet, right, that we can be all kinds of places right now that the influences are different, and the church hasn't necessarily navigated that well. Again, I'm not doom and gloom, but I'm just saying the reality of it is that we haven't navigated it very well out of fear, out of trying somehow to defend God like he needed us to defend him. We, we, we've, we've distributed um, or, or um, exhibited something that may look like hate to people. And yet with all that that I just mentioned, People are continuing to search, right? There's this continued spiritual search, and you see it. You know, I, I don't know if it was last year, year before, maybe every year, like I'll hear something about the Grammys, and people are like, oh, you know, I'm, 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 on, on social media, I'll see them. They'll post pictures of like all this, like I think it was last year, year before, all this red, like kind of ceremony-looking stuff, and I'm like, I don't watch the Grammys. I mean, I've seen them before. It's been a long time, but, you know, I don't know if there's anything there that I need to see, so I'm like, I'm not watching them. If you watch them. You know, don't complain to me about what you see. That's, that's why, I, you know, I just want to go on everybody's post, but then I got to, you know, I'm a pastor. I got to be nice. I just want to go on everybody's post that post those pictures and show, oh, it was horrible. I can't believe it. Did it. I believe it. They're sinners. What do you expect them to do? What do you think they're going to do? Oh, we're, they're going to have a big tribute to the greatness of our God and, and, and tell about Jesus on the ground. They're not. You'll get that one guy that gets up there and says, I just want to think. God, for, for this award, and you're like, yes! I don't know what God he's talking about sometimes. I'm just saying. And then you say, but people are attracted. You know, it could be an entertainer. It could be a singer. 
Some vocalist that's like extraordinary talent is like, oh, like, like just off the charts and, and people flock to him. And they do this, you know, all this ritual stuff that looks very uh, demonic and satanic. And, 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 and why is it that people are, will accept that? It's because people have a longing for something spiritual. God is still one of the highest search uh, 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 words and, and, and terms on the Internet. Right? And, and, and the idea that it's, it's sad, but, but, but a, para, a movie about the paranormal will attract crowds at the movie house. And it's a sad state of the church that sometimes the movie house will be more spiritual than the church house. We can't offer to this world that is continually searching for spiritual something that's dead and dry and think that that's going to appease them or help them. The church ought to be the most spiritual place that people enter into all week. And so I'm just trying to help you get a little picture of the problem because there's no way that I can give you vision of where we're going and what we're doing until we understand that, 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 that Houston, we have a problem. Right? And I, I think this with Nehemiah, you see this, that he's just not an ambitious kind of guy. Like he's got a thing, hey, I want to go be governor of Jerusalem, and I think, you know, uh, I'd like to be the guy that's known for building the walls. Maybe they'll put a plaque on it that says, you know, rebuilt by Nehemiah, 455 B.C. That's not his, that's not his. It looks like to me, Nehemiah was kind of doing fine. King, here's your cup. It's been tested. It's for you. King, you, you want me to, okay, you want me to go take care of that thing? Yep, yep, yep. You want to meet with me and two other advisors at, at, at 2 o'clock? Nehemiah had that. Nehemiah would have had a, probably a very nice home. He'd probably dress nice. I'm just telling you, he's not going to be sloppy in front of the king. The king would have made sure that's taken care of. It's, it's, very, it's, it's highly possible that he had a guard with him that protected him so that people couldn't get to him to try to, try to force him by threat of his life to do something to the king. You, you, you follow me? This is a Persian king. I mean, this is, a, this is a great empire, and Nehemiah is right there. He's not like, well, I think I want to be known for that. He's comfortable, and all of a sudden he gets this report. And it troubles him when he hears about the problem. And then he goes there, and he's making the assessment, evaluating, and it's a problem. And there's a why that Nehemiah has that produces the vision. He sees the problem, and that becomes his why. And I'll say in your personal life, like if you're trying to, I'm trying to have a vision, you know, for health, or I'm trying to have a vision for accomplishing this career or that. You know, if, you're try, if you say, you know, I'm trying to have a vision for my health, I want to lose weight, and I say, why you want to lose weight? Well, I just want to look good. I'm going to tell you, there's a whole lot of people want to look good, and they're not changing the way they're eating or their diet, you know, or their exercise. You know what I'm saying? Like how many, how many don't want to look good? Raise your hand, like, you know. Like, my vision could be, I want to have, like, I want to have that real cool hair, you know, like. It's not going to happen, right? I'm just, I'm just saying, you'd be saying that, but if you're only wise, so you look good. Like, I want to be healthy because I got three granddaughters. I like to hang around for a little bit and see some stuff. You know what I'm saying? I've got a ministry. I don't want to check out too early. And, like, okay, I get to heaven. The Lord said, well, you know, I really had about 20 more years planned for you to do some stuff. But, but you, you, you know, you ate Taco Bell too much. And you was over at Skyline hanging out. You had, you know, 15 candy bars in, in a month. or what? You know, you understand what I'm coming from. Like the why has got to be bigger than just something that's ambitious. So he says, let us build the wall. In other words, he's saying it's time for action. It's time to do something. Let's make it happen. It's the vision that you hear him talking about now. And, and vision doesn't just happen in a moment. 
1903, December 17th, 1035, Orville Wright flew 120 feet. That didn't sound like much, does it? Almost sounds like, well, that might have been just luck. It might have just been a coincidence, if you believe in coincidences. I mean, he did what nobody else had been out from, from level ground to be, able to, to be able to make that happen. And for the world, it probably looked like, oh, my, can you imagine the vision we now have for flight? Looking back on it, I mean, just the idea, like, you know, uh, the, the ability to protect the nation through flight because of, of these bombers and fighter, fighter jets and all that stuff, or, or the ability to, to travel from, from place to place. You know, if you drive a long distance and then you fly this, you may have ever dr- driven to Florida, and then you fly one time, you're like, well, I'm never driving again. It's like, about killed me to drive. I felt like I was 90 years old. I got out of the car when I got there. I had to rest like three days to make the trip back. And once you fly, you're like, "Woo, this is nice. Flight. But you see, it wasn't, you know, that day was not the visionary day for them. They had had vision for a long time. The, the, the why was we want to put man in flight, and, and there's nobody ever really did it off, off of level ground like this, and, and, and we want to put a man in flight. We see the problem that nobody's ever done it before and that it seems impossible, but they had vision to see it happen. Nehemiah had a vivid vision. And, and, and it's this idea that for you in your life and for us as a church, if, if you aren't intentionally heading someplace, how do you know if you're ever going to get there? Right? This isn't a road trip through life. This isn't we're jumping in life's car and we're just doing some time admiring the sights. There should be some place that you're headed toward. As a church, we're not just here, oh, my, it's a good service Sunday, praise God. Hope we can do that again next week. No, there's something bigger than just what happens in this room. Thank God for God's spirit and presence in this room. There's something so much bigger. And I, I've, I've, you know, I think about my, my uh, I got this picture uh, not too long ago, and I'll, I'll show you in a minute, but Habakkuk 2 says, verses 2 and 3, And the Lord answer me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. The vision is certain. And I think about how that uh, um, my grandfather, Emmett, Emery Ogborn, he was a junior. That's, that's me and him right there. I don't know how old I was. It must have been like three, maybe. Had a good. I just wanted to show you that so you know I really did have hair. Right, and then I got I was, my mom sent me that not too long ago, and then and then uh, this is a picture of me and my granddaughter Olivia, and between the two of them, it's about a hundred years from their birth dates. If you went back to my grandfather's parents, Emmett Emery, Allborn Senior, and uh, Francis for Eleanor was her name. Yeah, that's a name, isn't it? If you'd ask them, okay, so tell us the vision for your newborn son in the early part of the 20th century. What's it going to look like? Well, he may get up. You know, I don't know. Maybe they have big plans. He's going to get married. He's going to have children. He's going to take over the family business. He's going to run the farm. He's going to do all whatever it might have been. But they wouldn't have been able to tell you. Well, he's going to get married and have a daughter, and his daughter's going to have a son. Oldest, best-looking son, name, name, name him Anthony. And then he's going to get married to Kim, and they're going to adopt the most beautiful little girl named Samantha. And Samantha's going to have marry Matt and have three children, and one on the way. Right? 
I'm going to tell you, they probably could not have told you all that. I'm just saying, 100, 100 plus, you know, 100 plus years from now, this is what's going on. They probably couldn't. But you know what? God knew that. God knows that about your life. Like you think about vision, there's no shortage of vision. It's not like, well, well you know, what might happen? It's kind of, kind of hit and miss. I don't know. No, God, God has a vision for your life. You say, Pastor, I'm 72. He's got a vision for your life. If you still got breath in your body, don't throw in the towel. They were, towel, they were singing earlier. Don't give up. You say, well, I'm only 16. Oh, my. It's unbelievable. It's incredible what's in front of you. I'm just saying God has a vision for your life. The word says it like this. He has a hope and a future, an expected end, a destination, a destiny for you. And the problem that between you and I is we got to enter in that place. I remember it was, uh, I'll be 17 years in June, about that same time when I became a pastor. Mashonda, could you stand up right there? Yeah, and, and charisma. And Luke, you can go ahead and stand up too. Yeah. So, so just stand right there for a moment. So Mashonda, I remember we, we became acquainted real quick, and uh, she's kind of like my little sister. And, 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 and we expressed the diversity of God's kingdom together, right? And, and uh, she's coming here, had charisma, and just caring for her. And, and just in the way it is with, a, with a, a leader, if you have a pastoral heart, you just kind of connect with people and fall in love with them. You know, and, and charisma. And I remember when Charisma's father passed away and, and just kind of journeying through that. That was hard. And yet church was here. And then, and then I mean, I've, I've been to, I don't get to go to all of them, but I've been to some birthday parties and graduation, celebrating. And then I got to do, when Charisma found this guy named Luke, and I'm like checking him out and asking him like 100 questions. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you ever need help with like asking questions to like your, your young person meet somebody? I got the good questions, like you know, and 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 Luke and I, I got to do that. It's not been a year yet, it's almost, uh, and I got to do the wedding for him. And I'm just saying this that that the vision when I first met Mashonda that Charisma was going to have Luke, right? And then they're going to have like 12 babies one day or whatever. Maybe not all at once, but I don't know if that's part of the vision or not. But I'm just throwing it out there. I love church growth any way it comes, right? <laughs> but, but here's what I want you to understand is that, that they're part of the vision, right? That you couldn't have forecasted all this early on, right? I, I, I think about, and you guys can have a seat. Thank you. We love you all. I think about um, Tony and Carissa over here. You know, we got to see them get baptized. And... and uh, you know, it's a, it's a funny thing. I was, I was out at the home show uh, and just walking. You know, sometimes like, like you're, you're, well, if you're me, this is what happens. Like I lock eyes with people, like, and I just boom. And like I'm thinking, man, I know this guy. And I really know him. But like I was in a different context. I'm like trying to process it all. And just in, in, in the flow of knowing like, okay, Holy Spirit, like I put my hand out. For me, this happens a lot this way. Put my hand out. And all of a sudden, boom, there he is. That's Tony. It all kind of came to me. We didn't set that meeting up. I think you were there like for two hours or hour and a half or something. It just happened, just happened, right, that I was there at that time, in that moment. And that, 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 that a kingdom connection was made because they're part of the vision of the house. Are you tracking with me? Tracking with me. Like Kaylee and Cody. I'm just picking on some people. I don't even know if I have time to do this. Kaylee and Cody, just stand up real quick. 
Yeah, I, I should have had you guys stand up, but everybody already got to see you. Uh, Kaylee and Cody, what's it been, like four years? Four years? I mean, Kaylee, every once in a while, she puts that picture of, like, right before she came here or something, man, she was messed up. You didn't look good. I'm just saying. You're beautiful. I'm just saying you didn't look good. And she'll put us, like, side by side, like, now. And you're looking at her like, man, Jesus has transformed this girl. You know what I mean? And, yeah, yeah. And, and Cody. So, so let me show you something. Let me show you something. In 1975, when, 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 when the church was just first starting and Pastor Forrest Ritchie was leading, he didn't have Kaylee and Cody's name in front of him praying for them to come in. They weren't even born in 1975. Nor, nor, nor was uh, Tony and, and Carissa and uh, Mashonda. You weren't either. 78, yeah. <laughs> I was prophetically. I knew you weren't born that early. But, but I'm just saying this. Yeah, you guys can set up. But, but here's the deal. God, in his great vision, had you in mind. And he put you at Elevation Church. And I see, I see sometimes people, they'll, they'll come in and lock in, and then they just exit out. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just saying this, that they, they many times are forfeiting the vision that God had for them by not locking in. As I'm going to talk about a few things here real quickly. Um, vision. He continues to say, the hand of my God upon me and the king's words. Hand of my God, a good hand. The hand of my God was good upon me. What is he saying? He's, he's, he's addressing the spiritual part of vision. And then he says, and the words of the kings, the practical application of vision, right? It's, it's, it's the natural words of the kings, king, and it's the supernatural hand of God upon him. It's both when it comes to understanding vision and embracing third word, last word, identity. Everybody say identity. If you don't understand identity, you'll never have vision for your life. And in 2024, I just want you to understand this, that, that you need to live out your identity and purpose this year. And, and, and identity, and if you're not writing this down, I encourage you to write it down. Identity is that you remember who you are. And next week, I'm going to get to the second part of this, the imperative that you pursue the mission that you've been given. And I want to spend just a few more minutes on this identity thing. I, uh, Nehemiah understood who he was. King's cupbearer. He understands. He stands up with authority with those folks, speaks to them with authority. He's the governor of Jerusalem now. He didn't sign up to be the governor, but the king's made him the governor. He'll be there 12 years, it looks like. He's the governor. He's letting them know, here's what we're going to do. We've got the plan, provision, power of God. This is what we're going to do. People oppose him. No, we, us, we're going to rebuild this, and the Lord's going to make us to prosper. Right, he understands firmly, solidly who he is. And identity is what produces culture. And we, we see that. I think food is one of the biggest places that we see culture. And I like food. Anybody with me? Like the 21-day fast thing over so you can go out and get some today when I mention this because some of you are already getting hungry. But, you know, like if you want good Chinese food, you, you don't like, you don't like think, well, um, you know, somebody says, Hey, uh, hey, uh, I heard, uh, heard Bob Evans got a good a new uh, Chinese rice pasta dish. You're not going to go. I mean, Bob Evans got that bolo tie on, lived in the farms of, of uh, Ohio, and makes sausage. Like, if you want sausage, go talk to Bob Evans, right? But, but you, you're not going there to get good Chinese. Where are you going to go? You're going to go to some little place, probably. Right? And the, the, guy, the guys behind it, like, like, sometimes you talk and they just shake their head at you. 
You know what I'm saying? I don't know if they understand everything I'm saying, but, man, they can make this stuff. And I don't even think egg rolls are necessarily Chinese. I think it's American-made Chinese kind of stuff. But, but so you get one of those egg rolls that's, like, real crunchy on the outside, and the inside it's got that cabbage and whatever that st weird stuff is in there. We don't want to ask questions, right? Or, or you know, I'm just, I'm just saying this, that you, you're not going to track over this. You're going to understand there's an identity that's going to produce that culture. You're not like, oh, I want some good Thai food, and, and Applebee's has got some Thai coconut shrimp. I think that's where I'm going to go. Now, you can go. I don't know how authentic Thai spice is, but, but you're going to run in there. and you're going to get, Because to say Applebee's hot is not Thai hot. I mean, Thai hot, you got to, like, call, like, you know, the, the, you got to go to the ER after you eat it. Like, you're like, you're crying. You know, you're like, I mean, it's so good, but it's so bad. Cause, because here's what we understand that that culture is represented by an identity. And I want to talk to you just a few moments about the identity of who we are so that we can really dig into vision next week. And Because and, identity is important because, it, and I'll, I'll read real quick just a few verses. Am I still good? Everybody with me? Yeah. I, 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 I took out stuff to be shorter, but there's some stuff I just got to get to. Ephesians 4, I'm reading the NRSV, uh, verse 11. Um, Jesus gave, he granted that some are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. To equip, why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. How long is it going to be? Until all of us come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ, we must no longer be children, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. Ooh, somebody needs to gear that right there and write that down and practice that. Speaking the truth in love, not the truth in hate, right? Not love without truth. We must grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped as each part is working properly to promote the body's growth and building up itself in love. So I want to talk about fivefold ministry in the, in the idea of function. Everybody say function. That how churches function. And and you know, I and I was I was I was with a guy one time and he was like, Well, you know, God doesn't do these things now you know, it's different. It was different back then and all this. And I said, so, Well, let's read this. And I just read through what I read to you. And when I got to that part, until everybody say until. Like right, these the, right, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, they they are there to to equip the body for the work of the ministry until until when? So there's a time stamp on this. Some people think, well, those were done away with. That was way back then. It's not now. He says, until all of us, everybody say all. So who was he talking about? He's talking about all of us and all of the church throughout history. All of us come to the unity of faith. Are we there yet? No. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. Is the maturity of the church at large the measure of the full stature of Christ? No. So let me help you. That's still, this is still something that's functioning today. Right, we could be misled, and I remember telling that guy that, and man, it just like his eyes started batting. I mean, he looked like Joel Steen on acid, man. I th I thought this guy's about ready to stroke out or have a seizure on me. Like it just messed him up. Like I I I, I wanted to help him. I almost want to say, hey, I take it back because I can tell it's messing you up too much. But I'm just saying that somehow we lose sight, and I'm not talking about big A apostles. The the apostle Paul is unrepeatable. Don't think that there's a guy running around today that we're going to call him apostle, and he's the apostle. He's just like the apostle Paul. No. 
right? Prophets like 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 we've seen uh, that the that the church says it was built upon. Here's what the word says: the church was built upon the 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 foundation of the apostles and prophets. We understand that there was a day when when these these unrepeatable kind of uh, men led the twelve and and Paul, and, and yet the function has not ceased. My my good friend and and mentor that passed away uh, in in 2020, Rick Clendenin. Some of you have heard him. I mean, he's the kind of guy that was so um, unassumable. When you met him, you just didn't, like you wouldn't have thought. I mean, he's from Cumberland, Kentucky, which is mountains of Appalachia. When they, when they asked him one time, he was speaking in uh, Eastern European. They had him speaking in front of, in front of Parliament. And, and, and when he was speaking there after he finished, he was in the car with, with the, uh, the prime minister. I think it was prime minister. I can't remember the title. And his wife. And she said, did you learn to speak from the great orators? He said, excuse me, ma'am. She said, you know, from the orators, the great ones, like she mentioned, I think, Plato and whoever else. He said, ma'am, I'm not sure what orator is. That's Rick Lindenen. Brilliant man. Brilliant man. When he spoke at Oxford graduation in England, they, they asked him what color that he wanted for the chords, and he said orange. He said, I didn't know that was for engineers. He just didn't know. But I want to tell you, he's a man that thousands of churches in Africa, in the Middle East, in those Eastern Bloc countries, when Ukraine uh, was was open to revival, and he he had he had men that served under him that he would give he would give directives to, and they would pass it on and and lead. And you'd never thought that about him, but I want to tell you, the function of his life was very apostolic. Are you tracking with me? Setting in order, breaking new ground. And and I think in America, part of the delusion with the church is that we've we've made church leaders only pastoral. In fact, we, in America, we, we connect pastor-teacher, and that's, that's what we call the role, role pastor-teacher. Because everybody loves pastoral ministry. Are you with me? You do. You don't know it maybe to, to say it, but you do. You do. First service, they didn't know what to do. They were just quiet. Because pastoral ministry is like, hey, c- come here a minute. I know you've been hurting, pat you on the back, pray for you. God's going to help you make it through. We need, and by the way, we need pastoral ministry, right? We should be great. We're a pastoral church. But, but I want to say we're not only a pastoral church, right? Because we like that. I, I mentioned being at some birthday parties and graduation. I've done some of those things. I do them. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit interactive with people, so I'm good. I'll meet all your cousins and your nephews and your nieces. And, and you, you know, you're, I, I remember one family, um, I, their, their, their mother became like a, a, a surrogate almost at times to me. Just because we got so close because I, I can do that with people. But I know this, everybody doesn't need that all the time, right? Everybody loves it when a leader's pastoral. That's why, we, that's why we celebrate in America. Everybody loves the teacher. In fact, there's teaching churches. I would say this, that, that uh, 75, I think it's 87%, something like that, of churches in America are like 125 or smaller, right? That's a pastor who can be there and pat you on the back, speak some kind words to you. Show up at the hospital, be there at your birthday party, do all those little things that, that make us feel good. And there's teaching churches. And teaching churches where, where, you know, they're going to get up and do a Bible study on Sunday morning. They're going to do a Bible study for you because you don't want to do one for yourself. I'll get to who I am a little bit here in a minute. 
I celebrate teaching. We need teaching. How many know that? You need to know information is knowledge. How many know my people perish for a, for a, for a lack of understanding? You need to know. But I also know that if that's the only thing that you're about, right, so that somebody will give you a study so you don't have to study. Elevation, we expect you to study and read on your own. I'm not going to do it all for you. I'm just going to let you know. You're coming here and you say, well, I hope you'll do all this for me. I'm not going to do it all. You've got to study for yourself. You need to get in the Word for yourself. I'll tell you that time and time again. Don't think you're going to come to Sunday and this is Golden Corral Church. You're going to belly up to the buffet and eat all that you want and then not eat all week. Right? You've got to feed yourself. How unhealthy would you be if you only showed up at Golden Crow once a week and ate all you could till you couldn't hardly walk out the door and then you didn't eat all week? I'm going to tell you, you'd be a sick, anemic-looking person. So there's, there's that aspect. Then there's the other aspect of the teaching church where, where, where we just want to gain more knowledge, more information, more knowledge, more information until we get puffed up with knowledge and information and we do nothing with it. In fact, we almost become pharisaical in how much we know. And by the way, you need to know. Learn, study, show yourself approved. But I'm also going to tell you this. It's not so you'll just have more so that you can compare to other, like let me compare my notes to you to find out who was Cain's wife. I really don't care who Cain's wife is. She got right with Jesus. Maybe we'll see her in heaven. If not, maybe they'll tell us if we really want to know. I don't know that when I get in eternity, I'm going to care about who Cain's wife was. I'm being facetious a little bit. See, where we don't get a lot of time, we, they, they, I just described church in America just about to you, to, to the majority, overwhelming majority of churches. Where we don't get to many times is this evangelistic church, right? right? He's, there's teachers, there's pastors, there's evangelists. And see, we've got to get there. As Elevation Church, we are an evangelistic church. Yes, we want to be, we want to have many pastors who fulfill the pastoral role, but we also, right, we want to have teachers, but we can't ignore the lostness of our community, Somebody's got to own the responsibility of the lostness of people in our community. God didn't put us here just so we could have a, a good time together and learn a bunch of stuff and feel good about ourselves and be nurtured and then ignore the lostness of, 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 of our fellow uh, man. So we got to own that. And, and by the way, I meet with pastors and I'm just so excited about what's happening as other pastors together. We're saying, you know what? This city needs churches collectively that will own the lostness and will hold each other accountable for reaching out with the gospel to the world. And, and I would dare say that the gospel is so strange in America that some Christians get offended in some churches because they've never heard the gospel presented. And so they hear something that sounds so contrary to what they've been living that we got to take responsibility. That means sharing your faith. Like you said, Pastor, we give you a few dollars a week so that, so that you'll do that for us, so you'll evangelize for us. And I'm just saying, I'm going to share my faith every opportunity I get. My wife's with me sometimes. She's like, okay, we got to go here. And like, I'm like, I'm going to tell these people about Jesus. She's okay with it. I'm just saying, sometimes we're on a schedule. You know what I'm saying? I want you to catch this, though, that we own the responsibility I'm almost, I'm almost finished. Prophetic church. Everybody say prophetic. Yeah, prophetic church. We, we are a prophetic church, and by that I mean this, that it's about unction. And I know you didn't use that word all week, and you may even say, Pastor Tony, I've never heard that word. And, and unction is like on the day of Pentecost when they spoke in languages they never learned, and they did it by an utterance. What was the utterance word that come from? From the Spirit. And an unction, a holy unction, is what we need because we can't function without unction. We just can't. I mean, you can make up plans and do stuff. 
I've been to conferences. They can tell you a business model about how to grow and develop a church that works, and people do it. If it's just about getting a box, a big box together and getting a bunch of people in it and singing some nice songs and collecting some money and having some staff to, to be pastoral and teaching-oriented so that you can feel comfortable, then, then that's one thing. But, but that's not what God's called us to. He needs a prophetic church. That, that, we, that we are functioning by the leading of the Holy Spirit and that we desire a move of his spirit and that sometimes that's unpredictable and sometimes that's spontaneous. It doesn't mean we don't have a plan in, in events and in gatherings, but it means this, that our plans are subject to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. That's very much more real than if, because, you know, I've been there and, you know, I can do it. Somebody asked me to speak someplace that day and they said, you know, our, our time slot's 25 minutes. Is that Okay. I'm like, yeah, I can do 25 minutes if I'm someplace else, and I'll honor. Like, I'm here. I'm, give, I'm giving you a double portion. I can do it. But I've been there. Let's, let's, do, let's do the intro to the song, the verse to the song, the chorus of the song, the verse to the song, the chorus of the song. Do the bridge and do, and do the outro, and then let's do it again and repeat it three times. And, okay, there we, we did the, we did a, a, I call that like a song service. There's some worship in it, right? Pastor, can you, you know, let's get it all done in 59 minutes so we can get out to go to Chili's. And I'm like, if you need to go to Chili's, go. We, we, our doors are unlocked. I'm just saying this, that in a prophetic church, we're following the flow of the Spirit. And I would add this, with prophetic comes correction, Right? Pastor, I'll hug you, sing kumbaya with you, love on you, and, 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 and that's good. And sometimes, you know, when you're beat up in the world, things that went right, you need that. But then you also need somebody to call you out on some stuff sometimes. Please know that the prophetic unction of my life, I will call it out on you. And, 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 and I don't worry, and I'm not concerned. I have to, be, I have to work to be diplomatic because I, I lean to be prophetic, and I have to work on, I want to say this in a way that, that doesn't, I don't want to kill you. But the word may have to cut you so you can get better. Like if, if you're on a trip to go someplace and nobody ever brings correction and tells you you're going the wrong way, how disappointed would you be when you get there? Lastly, apostolic. And guys, come to the music, apostolic. Apostolic is the idea of being sent. So you know this church is here sent. It's on purpose. In fact, the prophetic word over this church that still stands is, behold, I set before you an open door, and no man shuts it. God's the one that's put this church here. It wasn't just a good idea to put it on a corner here. In fact, if you was looking for a good idea to start a church, you wouldn't have put it here in, in, in the 70s when they put it because County Line didn't have an exit. County Line's two, li two lanes, and it faces Sherman. The address is Sherman because Sherman was just as important then as County Line, and now you know that's not the case. You wouldn't have said, oh, that's a good idea. No, it's a God idea. We don't need a bunch of good ideas, but even great ideas. We need God ideas. Sent. What does the apostle do? He sent, right, what to do? To break new ground, to establish something that wasn't there before, to set in order. And what God wants us to do is be a house in the community that helps set in order, that looks at the problems of addiction and say, here's, here's God's order for this so that you can get free of addiction that looks at the children that have been discarded. You realize that in Indiana, there can be 500 kids at any given time that don't have an adult to care for them. How many know that's an injustice, that's a problem, and, and the church needs to have vision to help see that rectified? Anybody with me say yes? 
There's women that are, that are locked in abusive relationships and they can't get out because they don't have anywhere to go or any way to get help. And how many know the church ought to be able to step into that and set it in order? Thank you for listening to the Elevation Indie Podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you're notified as soon as the message becomes available each week. And hey, while you're here, go ahead and share this with somebody that needs to hear the message. Thanks, and see you next week.